for me, the heart of culture, the heart of where do we get our values, how do we make meaning about ourselves, our lives, our communities, how do we build a way of being together that really validates, acknowledges, endorses, celebrates difference. And it's all, you know, in languages, in music, in song, in how we are as people. So, yes, it has been really who a whole part of my life is because I've been an activist. I've done a lot of work in social and public policy. I've been passionate about community development, building communities, um, totally obsessed (laughs) with cultural identities and the wonderful things that make up our culture. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week I come to you from my homeland, New Zealand, Aotearoa, and I had the privilege of being here uh, while we celebrated what's called Matariki, a brand new uh, public holiday, but a new celebration. And I really am excited and delighted to bring to you the beautiful Sandy Morrison, who happens to be my mother in love. Some would say mother in law, but this beautiful soul is an incredible being and someone who has been very heavily involved in the Maori culture the history, and she's been a part of different projects here in New Zealand. She was the deputy chairperson for the last 30 years and has worked to develop partnerships, projects, and services to support economic, social, and cultural development in Auckland and across Aotearoa. She has always been actively involved in a range of initiatives innovative initiatives, say that quickly, supporting entrepreneurs in the arts and cultural sector in Auckland. Her contributions to the arts sector have included governance roles on the Council and Arts Board of the Creative New Zealand, Toi Aotearoa, and as a founding trustee of both Arts Regional Trust Arts and the Tiariha Nui Charitable Trust. I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation because we talk about what it means to have cultural identity and honouring our cultural heritage of whatever country that you're in, looking to our Indigenous cultures for their incredible wisdom. And I really hope you enjoy this week's podcast as much as I have enjoyed interviewing this incredible woman. If you'd like to place any comments and feedback, you know I am absolutely delighted by all of those things, either on my Instagram page, Kim Morrison28, the Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training, or you can go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Your five-star rating supports me to get this beautiful array of interviews and quickies out there to as many people as possible so that we can all take care and be kind. I look forward to hearing what you think of this week's amazing interview. 
As you can hear, it is not only a pleasure to interview extraordinary people, but when I get to actually interview someone who I adore with all my heart and someone who I have respected for many, many years, and particularly someone who has a lens on life that I would call very beautiful, then it gives me absolute pleasure to have you on the Self Love Podcast, gorgeous Sandy Morrison. Oh, good morning, Morena. Kia ora koutou, I will say, in the language of Aotearoa New Zealand. Well, that's quite a lot to live up to. <laughs> well, you are someone who, you know, let's face it, there's a bonus in marrying your son, as I got you as my mother-in-law, so I can't help but be proud and excited about that. Not many people can talk about their mother-in-laws as, as fondly as I do, but it is an absolute pleasure to have you here, sweetheart. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Kim. I, I mean, you certainly are not a daughter-in-law for me. You are a daughter in love. <laughs> and my love, you are. I always say, well, Danny dreamed you up. I think <laughs> that you're a perfect match. So now that we've got over our absolute mutual obsession with each other, we can get onto some content. <laughs> Do you I think? love it. I love it. I love it. Well, let's talk about this. You were born in South Africa, a very different culture, and you came out as a young girl with your beautiful mum and dad and your brothers and sister on a boat. And then you arrive in a place called Aotearoa, New Zealand. Perhaps you could talk to us a little bit about, do you remember the differences? Because I really wanted to focus here around our cultural identity here in New Zealand. And I'd be really curious to see what you think, not only about New Zealand's culture, but perhaps where you've come from as well. Oh, well, that's a big story, but obviously one which is, about the meaning of my life, um, Kimberly, because, um, yes, I was born in Cape Town and, um, you know, a very white anti-apartheid South Africa at that time. And, of course, New Zealand was still very New Zealand, part of the British Commonwealth, which I suppose it still is. But really, life was quite different especially in a colonial worldview. But I also was born um, to um, a Lithuanian Jewish grandfather and a um, Firenze, which is Florence, Italian-born grandmother on my father's side. And my mother um, had, had an Irish father in Cape Town and I gather there was also some French going back. So the interesting thing, and I do think as kind of as colonials or white colonials, wherever we have been born and found ourselves in the Commonwealth, you know, our culture, our cultural ties, the things that have made us do really matter. And I think they matter to everyone. So for me, um, these days, I really endeavour to challenge myself about what is a really healthy, well-balanced, exciting, innovative post-colonial worldview. That's certainly where I think we can go. And I think it really matters to 
recognize, you know, our own cultural histories, the things that matter to us and some of the things we just have in our essence and the exciting thing in a post-colonial worldview is that we can really make a big commitment to honoring the different languages and cultures of many different people and depending which countries we find ourselves in I think it's really critical to spend the time the energy, the passion, the interest in understanding Indigenous cultures. And why I do passionately believe that is so important is because we need different ways to think about the environment, about how we are, who we are, just generally about our whole being. Because where we've arrived yeah, we have got big problems. We've got major problems in the environment. We've got a lot of problems even just in our way in which we deal with each other culturally. And certainly, I think that anything that gives us a chance to reevaluate what matters to us as part of a human race, to actually what matters in terms of the environment and what happens and matters in terms of how people think and make meaning of life. So for me, all of the this, all of this has been part of my own story. Um, imagine coming from a pro-apartheid, white apartheid country like South Africa was in those years to the small, wonderful islands at the bottom of the world, really, Aotearoa, New Zealand, the Pacific Islands, which now are well considered amongst many people, although we still have plenty of reactions, to be considered called Aotearoa, New Zealand. But as a young woman, I was, as a teenager, I became very politicised and I was very anti-apartheid and so I was not owning myself certainly as a white South African. Um, I was very committed to um, New Zealand as and so was my father which is why my parents, our parents brought us here. So we were never sort of like some people, I think, who immigrate, always kind of looking back, looking back, or, you know, to the home country. No, um, New Zealand was always, from the time we stepped foot on it, as far as my parents and particularly my Jewish father was concerned, this was, this was home. And so I think it was all of those, that sort of, you know, family attitude which really committed me in a very, because um, I was only 12 when I came, so I had all of the cultures of New Zealand, <laughs> the strangeness um, to deal with because we moved to small towns in New Zealand for, you know, my father's work. And I just think somehow by osmosis that whole thing about cultural identity had really just got into my soul because my father took us to so many different Maori cultural groups 
in our childhood years. And when I became politicised when in my teenage years and then I was marching in the anti-apartheid um, Springbok tour, you know, um, I then got into thinking about um, Māori sovereignty because that was also um, on the rise and recognition that really there was tremendous amount of issues um, and considerations that mattered in terms of um, Māori, not just negative social economic issues and poor health issues, which continue today, but really there was a huge amount of music, song, vibrancy, tradition that was part of a Māori worldview that really was so marginalised, and this was, I'm talking about the 80s, and now we're in the 21st century, and I do think that as a society and that New Zealand, even being the small country, has made a big leap forward in terms of seeing the value and benefit of thinking about the indigenous culture of this place, which I like to think about as being really a big issue in the Western world, in the colonised world. It's not just about the indigenous culture as it is in Aotearoa, New Zealand, but it will be true for Australia, for North America, for Canada. And what is so exciting about this journey, which I think is the really innovative, exciting part of a post-colonial walk together into the future, is that we can challenge ourselves about our approach to the environment, how come we've got to this point, some of the things in our society that we had great aspirations for, but really um, we have done badly, very badly. So for me, the heart of culture, the heart of where do we get our values, how do we make meaning about ourselves, our lives, our communities, how do we build a way of being together that really validates, acknowledges, endorses, celebrates difference? And it's all, you know, in languages, in music, in song, in how we are as people. So, yes, it has been really who a whole part of my life is because I've been an activist. I've done a lot of work in social and public policy. I've been passionate about community development, building communities, um, totally obsessed <laughs> with cultural identities and the wonderful things that make up our culture in terms of arts and the fact that it's not it's not about negating the Western traditions. So I just don't understand racism because it just feels to me that racism at the heart of it 
it's all about a whole lot of fears about things which really, when you engage with it in a human sense, are not really threats. So all of our music, all of our art, all of how we make meaning and communicate is can be different and we can celebrate it. So for me to have done so much work for the arts on the Arts Council, um, I was appointed to the Arts Council. I was also appointed to the Hillary Commission um, in terms of recreation and sport. And also I did a lot of work in social policy, understanding intergenerational unemployment. And in my case, the things I was very interested in was in marginalised communities. And so it might seem like, oh, well, that's a lot of different, but they weren't different. It is actually all part of the quality of life, the quality of building communities, what it means to think about identity, language, culture, what makes meaning. That's, and I think that we are at a time in, in our lives, but a time in our social history, the 21st century, where we really have to make this giant leap into a whole new space, a whole new worldview, a way of embracing diversity, embracing what it means to be post-colonial in the most positive sense, which is not about throwing away the wonderful, exciting, rich, innovative things of Western traditions and Western cultures. No, it's about embracing them and embracing many others and particularly the Indigenous worldviews, the Indigenous ways of understanding, integrating ourselves with the environment. And that is very key to Maturanga Māori. And so what an exciting possibility that there are some new different pathways which will really transcend some of the very negative aspects of the corporate hardline economy first approach of the cultures and our culture that really has meant we have significant issues and I do think there are ways forward for us to solve them. Well, I'm just amazed. What a wave you sent me on. Holy <laughs> Moses. This is, well, I've got no idea with this is what you wanted to interview me about. Yes, of course. It's, it's a very, well, I think it's a very wholesome conversation, but for many you even touched on it. It can be quite sensitive. Having lived half my life in Australia and almost the second, sorry, in New Zealand and the second half I seem to be, I've landed in Australia, one of the key things I've noticed is just how much 
I've missed the Māori culture and how proud I am of the New Zealand way of life. And we seem, and this is just a very um, generalised look at it, but we seem to embrace it very well in New Zealand. And we seem to have got better in Australia. I think the Aboriginal culture is one of the most incredible cultures that I have ever come across. And the people, the Māori people and the Aboriginal people are very different people, but their values of understanding the land, the richness of their history, ancestors, uh, the way we move forward and how we can listen and connect to the spirit of the culture is something that, am I, is it fair to say mm. that us Western people maybe don't understand or comprehend just how powerful that is? What's your mm -hmm. thoughts around white colonials understanding and embracing and really acknowledging how powerful a culture and an indigenous culture of the land that you live in is oh i think that is the, i think that is the great exciting opportunity in the 21st century because um because in a way you know as as people as human beings, we're always so resistant to change. That's just true. And some people are far more open to it than others. But the reality is, and a lot of it actually just comes from, you know, an ingrained fear, a fear of change, that we might lose something that's important to us, something that really matters, and or we might be, have to embrace something we don't agree with. But really, if we just let the barrier down if we decide we'll be open and we'll and we can actually explore these different ideas values ways of being then that is what that's what kind of makes life exciting and i do understand that because man let we won't go there but we've got plenty of racism even in new zealand it's really you know, and sometimes it's it's pretty ghastly to witness. But the point is what we're lucky about in New Zealand, and I think this is a reality that I never let us forget and let myself forget. Look, we're only a small country. We're only 5 million. So really the ability to affect change and to raise issues and to moderate and mediate some of the fears and things, it's a lot easier in a country of 5 million than in big, huge countries like Australia. But it, that doesn't mean that the people who, who are passionate and believe in it and see the benefit of it and are really more concerned about how people are and what matters, which is really fundamental in terms of values. I mean, values are traditionally at the heart of esoteric teachings and religions even though they get so wound up with so many different rules and structures, which seems to me to be completely miss the point in many respects in terms of what the fundamental values were. Um, I think this is an opportunity for us to, to change that. And I do think that in, even in Australia that there is much more recognition of the value of some of the indigenous ways of being and their commitment and their understanding. God knows, they're the oldest race on earth, don't we think? 
that they've got some wisdom. So, yes, I think it is challenging, and heaven forbid, let's not get into what's happened to democracy in the USA and all of the, those, those, because the scale of it is absolutely enormous. Do I feel that um, the Western world um, philosophically uh, is, is in a big risk situation with its systems and its democracy and its involvement and what's happening with the environment? Absolutely. I do think we are in incredibly challenging times. And I think that our, even our democratic system is quite, is quite fragile. And we could go into lots of issues about the way in which social media, the internet, you know, has upsides, but it certainly is producing some very difficult and challenging issues. But what I do think is so important is that, you know, when we do connect together in terms of what matters and what, what when we have a conversation which can be about the values, what we're going to do about the environment, about some of these bigger issues, what it, what it means to have a healthy, balanced, democratic system, then I do think we have we will find ways to actually navigate, negotiate the kinds of new worlds we certainly need to build in this time, in the 21st century. And I certainly think that being open to indigeneity, to an indigenous worldview, to being prepared to explore the ways in which um, nature, the environment, the seas, the stars, the sun is actually integrated as part of their traditional worldviews. And for us in Aotearoa, New Zealand, Maturanga Māori certainly is very rich in that, even their understanding of the cosmology. So we don't have to turn into academics, but I do think that we need to really open our minds and our hearts and not to believe or imagine that some of the best of our own cultural traditions will necessarily just be dismissed. They can all be integrated. They can be thought about. We can reevaluate. And I think that's what, that's what life, that's what the world in the 21st century needs to be about. And that's what I think is damn exciting. <laughs> You're incredible. And I think one of the most poignant moments in our most recent times was seeing the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, when we had the terrible mosque attack, uh, that terrorist attack that we had. Um, I think mm. what was so incredible was the way Jacinta earned such respect for her response to that worst ever attack. And 
she was praised for her compassion but also her tough leadership style and I just would love to ask you your opinion on how she dealt with that cultural um, sad moment in the history of New Zealand. Well you know I think one of the most um, illuminating and extraordinary things about Jacinda Ardern as Prime Minister is that really she is very real that her her instincts when she confronts what is a kind of a major crisis and whatever it is, is that even when you meet her and talk to her, you get the, that she really allows herself to feel and be and think that the humanity, you know, the empathy, the compassion is the first her natural first response. And from that place, she endeavours to find solutions. Now, I think it's a damn hard world being a politician. I mean, I encourage people, I encourage young people, for heaven's sake, vote, get involved, it's important. But I do think that it is a very, very challenging place to be, not even just the Prime Minister. But to be a politician, but we really need to encourage young people that this is the avenue. This is a place where they can, you know, make change. And in healthy democracies, we need, we need that. So for Jacinda, what she role modelled in that time with the Muslim community, just she role modelled what it means to say to actually be human first. That's what we are. We, that's where the unity lies. It's not that we all have to believe all the same things, dress the same way, you know, think the same view, but really fundamentally, and Māori would say, you know, to tangata, people, people, people. And I think that that's exactly what she embraced, which is why she was so, you know, well, well, it's hard to say. I do think in a way people loved her, that there was, you know, that they actually could see that that's how she was dealing with that. And even in spite of the Muslim adversity and racism that actually does exist and obviously that was part of a hideous white supremacy attack um and that which still exists it lets we know we're not pollyannas we know this is part of our society and this is why we must have platforms we must have ways of being we must have times and things that we continue to talk about what really matters in terms of human values. And I think that she did. Well, <laughs> she's, as a prime minister, she's had a very tough time with the pandemic, with everything and with everything else. And I think it's very, and she's so young. But look, we've also got this young Finnish woman in uh, the prime minister, the youngest prime minister 
in Finland, and heaven forbid, you know, she's standing up to Putin. Well, we do live in extraordinarily challenging, difficult, and complex times. But that means we will, we must, we can find ways and platforms and values to unite, to unite about what really matters. And that's, that's so much what I think this time has to be about. And I say with young people, you know, in terms of political systems, there's a lot that is, doesn't work and that, that there's a lot that is not very good about it. But you must be in it. They must, in democracies, they must vote. It makes such a difference because if things matter to you, if these, if the values, what, what kind of society we've got, what we're doing about the environment, how we treat each other, are we looking after the poor, are we looking after health, all of that, it's huge. But if everybody participates, there we'll find solutions. That's what's so marvellous about human beings. And for heaven's sake, man, if we don't get it together, well, I think the earth will survive, but we just might be gone. It's a fascinating time where even with our colonial history between our two countries, Australia and New Zealand, many find the cultures in both countries to be fairly compatible and quite similar. And therefore, New Zealanders find Australia quite easy and Australians find New Zealand quite easy to be in. We don't encounter the same language barriers or cross-cultural difficulties or socialisation that some other migrant groups face. And I'm curious, if, as you say, that we as people, as humans first, we can actually have compassion and empathy for fellow humans, regardless of race, religion or background and identity. Mm. This comes back then to what's important to us. Like you said, you've, you've said the word a number of times, our values are so important. Mm. But then you take into account our values are important, but then belief systems can mar or can actually not necessarily support our values based on our parents' beliefs or our religious beliefs? How do we bring values that could be universal across the board when beliefs can be so different? Well, my dear, I do think that is a very challenging question and it is, it is a live work it is a live work all the time because it is always about assessing what matters and what counts and what's a priority. And so I do think that a lot of the time the debates around religions and the differences in belief systems actually take away from the fact that really what we need to discuss, what we need to be talking about is a way of talking about what are the, the, the values, what are the values that are important to us, what are the values that are important in the society, what are the 
what are the kinds of things that we want to drive our systems. And so to me, because I'm totally passionate about healthy, well-balanced democracies, I do think that the democratic system is, it's got plenty of flaws, but then that's, as human beings, we have plenty of flaws. It is the best system that we have I so far. And so I do think we need to find ways to be able to have conversations, discourse, which isn't about arguing about hardline belief systems or fixed attitudes. It's actually about exploring what makes meaning, what matters, what and which really, to me, the only way of describing that is the values and the values that you actually want to underpin the society, the ways in which you look after people, the way in which people can be different, can also succeed. So it isn't about thinking that everybody is all the same. I mean, that's what's so exciting is that the difference does make for interesting conversations, fabulous kind of different music, wonderful kind of arts and dance. But I do think philosophically we have to have public platforms which allow us not just be constantly negative, critical, blaming, and we need to explore what actually really matters in terms of those values. And I think that is work in progress, but that's actually what being alive, caring, thinking human being is, isn't it? Well, I think you've touched on some really important things here. And in my humble opinion, not being an academic, but someone who's always curious, is really at the fundamental foundation of what it is to be human there is basically two emotions love and fear and when we are in a place of ego perhaps or maybe trying to get points across based on what you call very deep beliefs or attitudes imagine if we as a whole as humans could actually step back from that and embrace one another knowing that at the end of the day, if we look down the barrel of a, of a microscope, Sandy, whether we're from South Africa or Asia or North America or New Zealand, we all look the same under the barrel of a microscope. So in your humble opinion, what do you think New Zealand does so well uh, compared to, say, America or even perhaps Australia in some regards? Do you think New Zealand is doing it better because we're smaller or is that just a generalised statement and maybe we're not? Mm. Now, yes, you do like to ask very piercingly difficult questions, Kim, um, because, you know, you can never say that answers to these big questions are really just simple and bottom line because they are complex. But I do think what you're driving at is what is the, 
you know, what is there that makes a fundamental difference to actually bringing about positive change? And I agree with you. I do think that New Zealand, over time, all time, go back even to the early welfare, it has suffragettes. You think about it. It has demonstrated to the Western world quite progressive social innovation and movements, you know, over all its time, it has. I do think that it does help to actually bring about significant change or innovative change when you're not talking about, you know, 20 million, 30 million people, that because of the the size of the country, because there's 5 million, so the effect of change can happen quicker. I do think that that is, is, is part of how you can drive change and be sort of socially experimenting and innovative. But I also do think that there are other fundamental differences. And there is no doubt that in this country, you know, the British Empire arriving, the colonization. But, you know, the Tiriti of Waitangi, the Treaty of Waitangi, was a very significant difference where no matter all the controversy that might arrive about the interpretation and everything, the intention was still to actually have a relationship that recognized who were the indigenous people of this land when the settlers came to it. And I do think that that it is not just a sort of a political document. The wonderful thing about it, it has been a live, a live treaty, a live conversation to discuss, yes, debate, not always agree, about it, but really it is, as Māori would say, the ahika, which is the flame. And that's something that I do agree that I think Aotearoa New Zealand has had um, and does have in its kind of living conversation that is just not in other countries. Um, And certainly when you look at the USA and what has happened to their indigenous people and those values and those thoughts and those traditions and true also of the indigenous people in Australia. So we cannot say that there's any single thing that has actually empowered um, Aotearoa New Zealand to be quite progressive at the leading end of some social change in many areas over its time. And you think about it. Okay, I say just a five million size of one city probably in Australia. But really when you think about the people in the different where that it has produced world-class leaders, it has, you know, split the atom and, you know, I do think that's quite extraordinary. I do think 
you know, there would be very few any other one city that could boast. So it is telling you that somehow the combination of what happens in this test tube called Aotearoa New Zealand does actually produce innovation, new ideas, world-class issues, does drive change. And I think I feel personally truly blessed that my father decided this was the country we would immigrate to. This is the country that would become our home. And he chose it because he believed that there was equality in this country. And certainly there was equality in a way that did not exist in white South Africa. So kia kaha to you, my very late father, for um, his vision. And yes. It's amazing and so incredible that he chose New Zealand out of all of the countries in the world. What a, what a blessing also for us as we're recording this while I'm in New Zealand for us to have you come here, my sweet, dear Sandy. I want to ask you something personal, your opinion on this, and you may not want to, but just, just I'd be curious to know. In February 2008, the then Prime Minister of Australia, Kevin Rudd, made a formal apology to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders people. And it was particularly around the stolen generations whose lives had been blighted by, you know, government policies where they forced children to be removed from their families. I know that you can never take that time back, but do you think that was a significant moment in Australian history? Yes, yes, I do. I do, um, Kimberly, because I think that those that's so important to acknowledge, to actually make public your views about um, something. And certainly we can't, you know, we can't change what happened and what our ancestors um, did and why they did it. And sometimes, you know, they themselves would have been very positively motivated thinking they were doing, inverted commas, the right thing. So it's very important when you think about moving into, you know, a new world, a world that is post-colonial but isn't all about negativity and blame. It's actually about saying, you know, acknowledging and owning the past, what has happened, the things that you cannot, you can't restore, but you can say, new generations, let's ensure, let's make sure that the very best of what's good in life with each other is in place now in our systems that we do, we will commit. So it means that the past, and Māori are very good at that because 
they say you walk with your, you walk backwards into the future, which is not a negative thing. It's turn your back, see the past, learn from the past, understand the past, know the past, and with that, you walk into the future. And I think that moments like that, that and times like that, need need to happen and they do make turning points they do create change in the most positive way in spite of the debate sometimes the disagreements and also the fear which gives birth to a huge amount of racism that occurs so you need visionary statements. You need leadership at that constantly to remind us that there are ways of being that are bigger, better than we've ever been in the past. We're very blessed in order to move forward, to be able to look back, as you say. And one of the things you touched on earlier where I'd love for you to take us now is really about that beautiful indigenous wisdom where really, and my very small knowledge around all of this is each of the indigenous cultures seems to have this interconnectedness of all things, physical, spiritual, the land, the sky, the stars, the planets, like it's mm. the, the livelihoods and the, the truth of each uh, customary ways or indigenous ways and to not lose that wisdom is something that new generations you know we we look up to our elders we learn from our elders instead of this obsessed world of trying to look young perhaps or not embracing mm-hmm. the old cultural wisdom of our our forefathers and mothers and our grandmothers and great-grandmothers and fathers How do you think we can hold on to this as we move forward? And what do you think is the answer for people to really um, feel at peace with what it is to feel proud of the country's culture in which we live? Mm. Well, I do think that um, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and it's quite, it's important to kind of really, you know, for me always in terms of, having a vision for society or for the arts or thinking about community building, it's that you do want to be able to be effective and do something locally, even in your own life, in your own family, in your own community, not just some kind of theoretical view about how, you know, the world could be or society could be. So what's marvellous, I think, is that, um, well, just recently, and I will talk a bit about Matariki because that's just the an extraordinary occasion that now is being celebrated. But that's I do think that events and rituals and things happening that allow people to join in, to understand, to celebrate, to you know make music or be together and hear the stories, all of that is part of how people begin to see that, you know, 
there are ways of being together that are, can be a bit different or might have different views or introduce new ideas. And I do think that with the indigenous cultures, in terms of their traditional worldviews, there is a tremendous amount at a very um, community level just to learn from. Now, I am certainly not an academic, and I would not claim to be any real, you know, super knowledgeable person about a whole lot of, about Maturanga Māori. I know some of it, it interests me, I'm intrigued, I like listening to the stories, but I do think that this recent opportunity for this government making a public holiday of Matariki has really opened a door to a way of people at whatever level, whether it's at just with preschoolers or just with families, actually getting a taste of what is a very profound understanding in Maturanga Māori of the integration between us as people and the earth, the sea, the sky, what grows, who we are, what makes meaning for us in terms of health and being together and being well. And, you know, how wonderful is that? And it does not have to be bound by somebody's fixed attitudes or somebody's particular religion. It doesn't have to take that on. You can actually think about it in, in a really holistic way. And Matariki is about that because how remarkable to have something which is totally universal because the star cluster that Masariki is focused on is the Pleiades. Now, the Pleiades are one of the oldest star clusters known to us. And I understand it was 17,000 years ago they did drawings in those caves in France. So we're not talking about something that's sort of made up here, something new. It's something that is actually part of all of our beings, our lives, for so many centuries. But suddenly it actually has been highlighted, explained, understood to also represent like a time of life, a time in seasons, a time when in Aotearoa, New Zealand, it is the solstice, it is the shortest day, and that's the beginning of that process. And what that tells you about what's happening in the environment, what grows, and what's in the sea, and what's in the sky, and what it matters for birds. Now, you know, isn't that a most wonderful, exciting, not not as if it's entirely new. It's just a way of thinking about it. But what I loved about it 
is that it's not a day. We might have one day as the public holiday, but really the Matariki is a period of time which then, in traditional Māori terms, heralds the new year and the new year of growth, of reflection, of remembering the people who've passed, of having gratitude for what we have in the present, what grows, how we can be together. And within that, planning what does it mean for our brand new year, where we're going. So it just takes on a whole depth of meaning for people. They don't have to do the whole thing. They can just tune into the celebration and the ritual of what matters to them. And when you say, how can we begin to have these conversations or thoughts and thinking about what makes meaning and our values, I think it is like that. I think it is about celebrating rituals or having events or and having public events and giving new meaning to what we decide our public holidays are about. Well, I think what I also loved when I heard you talking about this was those beautiful stars, the nine stars, I think, if I'm right. And each one of those stars has its own meaning as well. And I think what I love about this is even though it could be a very old historical, as you say, 17,000 years ago, this was discussed, to give it new meaning and to honour each of those stars, how they're connected to the earth, the sea, the winds, the sky, I'd just love you to just describe to us your understanding of those nine stars and just how powerful it is for us to honour this ancient way of looking at our history. Mm. Well, for a start, darling, the Matariki um, in Māori, um, Te Reo Māori, it is um, Mata, uh, the eye, uh, eyes, and Ariki means God, and not a Christian God, not a Māori God, not a Buddhist God, but just that sense of, you know, the universal energy energy, things much bigger and more powerful and more than who we just are as a physical human being. So that's the eyes of God is what the the closest we could translate Matariki in terms of English. And what's extraordinary is that Matariki is like the mother of that cluster of stars And what they all have are these kind of, they're not just kind of Māori names. They actually have represented things that Māori understood in terms of the environment. And so they named them and they do have special purposes. The oldest star in um, in the Matariki cluster is the Pahutakawa. And they 
And as part of that understanding, that is definitely the star that is connected to the people who've passed on, the souls that have actually been of this place and have left their bodies and died. And that's who Poetakawa actually does represent. So that's what the oldest star has in terms of its role. The next star is Tupu Anuku, which is connected, the star that is actually connected to the food that's grown in the ground, like, you know, carrots and kumaras and potatoes. So they even have the star that they see is connected to that really important resource connected to the ground, the food that's grown in the, gra- the ground. Tupu Arangi is actually connected to the f- birds, to sometimes even food from the sky. So they are honouring and having gratitude and celebrating the fact that there is Tupuarangi, the, the star, that is there to acknowledge and look after um, birds. Then they go to water. And they don't just think about water as all water. There's one called Waiti which is for the fresh water. So then they think about, and it is about acknowledging what actually lives, the living in fresh water. Tuna. The, imagine that, just kind of having that connection and appreciation and valuing of um, that something that is so important um, to us as human beings, to life on this earth. Then the next one they call Waiata, which is the star that is connected to the salt water. So we have plenty of life in the salt water that we need to look after, that some of which some people eat. And we need to acknowledge it and celebrate it and look after it. And water, they then also think about um, the pools in the sky, and that's rain, and that's Waipunarangi, and that is the star that is looking after the rain. And they even have one of those stars, this wonderful cluster, for the winds, you think about the winds, the num- amount of winds there are, and the winds, and what the purpose of winds is, and what they do, and how much a part of the environment it is. And they are Ururangi, that's the star of the winds. Then the last one, which is actually the youngest star in the cluster, that is. Hiwi Itirangi. Hiwi Itirangi. 
And what is marvelous about this star in the Māori tradition is that that is the star that is connected to your dreams, your desires, your passions, your ideas for the year ahead. So you can see how all of the stars and the meaning and the connection for them then all holistically contributes to not just who you are, how you live, how the environment matters, all the parts of the environment that are important, and the earth, the sea, the sky, and celebrating that, and then what you will do with yourself, with your next year. And it's so, although it's such a a big tradition in terms of the Pleiades and a universal part, I think it's also how it is thought about and named is of this place is so uniquely Aotearoa, New Zealand. So to have a public holiday, Matariki, which celebrate is so so intensely meaningful at whatever level, level people take it. And the common greeting now that we will get used to, which is like, is manawatia a matariki, which is like, you know, the blessings and happiness and celebration of this brand new year, but based first and a recognition of the people who've passed, a recognition and celebration of how much we have and our gratitude to the earth, the sea, the sky, and then our being together, celebrating each other and moving forward into a bold brand new year. I just think it's truly remarkable. So it's just so beautiful to hear the words, the language, the meaning. And I think all of us at a very deep unconscious level feel very connected to these words, regardless of the names or the language, because I'm not sure we could ever articulate fully the translation of what many of these Indigenous cultural words must be very hard sometimes to find the English translation for their deep, deep meanings. So I want to acknowledge and honour you for giving us the most beautiful insight into Matariki and just how beautiful it was to be here in this land celebrating the first one of its kind uh, for Danny and I to actually be here. So Thank you so much. This is why it meant so much to me to actually have you on this podcast, not only describing your deep connection to cultural um, uh, history, meaning, and also your desire for us to come together and use these teachings, this wisdom to look forward and be grateful for what we do have in the here and now. If there was a... a definition of, of, of what you believe to be, um, you know, the, the meaning of love and self-love and obviously honouring the love of our culture and our history, 
what would your final message to this beautiful listener of the self-love podcast be by embracing all of the things that you've talked about, including the wisdom of our Indigenous cultures, wherever we're from? What would be your final message to those listening to this podcast? Ah, well, darling, what I would say is that I think we are truly blessed to live in this time with what is now possible for us, for our children and grandchildren. And I think that really opening our hearts and knowing that really the way in which nature is in itself the most profound teacher, if we do embrace that, there will, therein we will find new ways of being and new solutions because at its simplest and most profound, nature has all the meanings of whatever form of God you aspire to. It isn't about religious structures. It is not contained and confined by fixed man-made beliefs. It is living, breathing, heart and soul of who we are. So my one of my grace has been, when I say grace, I say, ko ao te whenua, te whenua ko ao. I am the land, the land is me. Oh, you beautiful soul. What an absolute treat and honor to share you those amazing words. And I'm sure anyone listening to this right now, if they're anything like me, are covered in goosebumps and just feel so grateful that you have taken the time to share this with us. I feel incredibly honored to have your knowledge, your wisdom, and your teachings a part of our family and our culture, but also to know where we're from and to always honor and remember that is incredibly humbling. So from my heart to yours, beautiful Sandy Morrison, I would love to say I love you and thank you, my mother in love, <laughs> for being on the Self Love Podcast. Blessings to you. Thanks for listening to the Self-Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Boss the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.